Hello, and welcome to How I Made It Happen, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Elizabeth Ogabi. On this podcast, I speak to women who are entrepreneurs, innovators, and game changers. I dive deep into conversation with them to understand how they've taken their ideas and made them a reality. If you're new here, here's a little introduction about me. I'm the founder of For Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial thinking women. I'm also the author of the newly published book, Side Hustle in Progress, a practical guide to kickstarting your business. In this book, I share everything you need to know as you embark on your own journey of turning your ideas into reality. From how to get ideas to how to market your business, I cover it all. If you'd like to purchase a copy, the link is in the show notes and it can also be purchased at all bookstores. In this week's episode, I am joined by Miriam Jimmo, the founder and CEO of Odja, which is a technology solution transforming access to cultural groceries and foods around the world. In simple words, she's making it easier for people to buy cultural foods by creating an app which allows you to order these goods and have them delivered directly to your door. She's building the UK's first venture-backed digital supermarket for cultural communities. She's one of the 16 black women in the UK who has raised venture capital and currently only 0.02% of the total funding going to startups has gone to black women founders. Miriam's a serial entrepreneur and has started many ventures, some whilst in university and some whilst she was working. While studying for an undergraduate degree, she founded WCAN, a marketplace and network for the professional development of black women in the UK. They offer networking opportunities, masterclasses, and partner with organizations to create solutions for the progression of black women at work. Since graduating from UCL, Miriam has gained experience as an M&A investment banker at Rothschild & Co., Combining her strategic insight with her business acumen, she then founded Odja. And during this time, she also co-founded Omway, an independent publishing house and lifestyle brand. In this episode, we dive into how she managed to raise funding through various ways, such as brand partnerships to venture capital to support her entrepreneurial ventures. Miriam's work has been recognized by the 2021 Forbes 30 Under 30 technology list in which she shared that her mission is to unlock game-changing value in underrepresented groups through technology and community. Here is Miriam Jimmo. Roger for me, so really it's from uh, the Yoruba dialect, um, which is a Nigerian language. And it essentially is the market, like it's a marketplace. So it's where you would kind of go in Nigeria to get anything and everything that you're looking for. Um, and for me, it had a meaning because my background is that I'm Nigerian. You know, my parents are Nigerian immigrants. They came to this country over 30 years ago. And although I was born in, Brand- in London, uh, I've been in London my whole life, and I've literally only left to go on holiday. Um, there are a lot of things from my culture that uh, usually sit around food uh, products that I'm used to using. And when I started kind of shopping for myself, it was, wasn't that easy to get access to these products. So I guess my background is that I did investment banking, I did mergers and acquisitions. I was working very, very long hours. But if ever I cooked a meal, if ever I wanted groceries, I had to order them online. Um, and for me, this is where I really experienced the problem that Roger is trying to solve, which is um, just in 
transforming access to cultural uh, groceries and then also world foods. It's really a sense of connecting people to things that are from their culture, uh, which they don't have easy access to as they do everything else that's more mainstream. Uh, and we find that this market is incredibly underserved, but also so loyal with a huge purchasing power, growing five times the rate of the population, the general population. So we feel like there's a huge opportunity here to really serve these underserved markets by speaking directly to them. How does it work? It's pretty simple. It's um, you pop onto the app, pick some products that you're interested in shopping. You can shop by category, you can shop by culture, um, and then you can pop it into your basket, check out, and it will be delivered to you within the next day. Okay. And do those items come from a local grocery store or do they come from your own inventory? So these are sourced from our own inventory because what we've really honed in uh, that is the almost really important thing about transforming access to these products is really taking control of supply and ensuring that good quality products from um, that we can kind of trace the origins from uh, is, is really important offering here. So that's something that we're very focused on. And you mentioned that before Oja, you were working full time, right? Could you tell us a little bit about your career? Yeah, sure. I mean, my my career is kind of up and down. I mean, I've always been, I've always been an entrepreneur. I had like an entrepreneurial side to me. Um, I started my first business, WCAN, which is a network for Black women who want to connect with the corporate world and with each other. Um, I started that in university in my second to last year, and um, straight from university, I went into sort of investment banking. I was always very much interested in corporate strategy, uh, corporate finance, just from an understanding perspective, because I studied sciences. Um, and uh, so for me, that was kind of the first step for me. I was going into a very corporate setting where I was really learning how to aid work and picking up amazing skills, but then also just understanding corporate structure, corporate governance, um, corporate finance, etc. Um, so I would say always have the entrepreneurial side alongside what I'm doing, but then of course making sure you're grounding that with some uh, cool skills that you get from these corporate um, structures. And what inspired you to leave your corporate job and to focus on Oja full time? Because I'm sure there's a lot of challenges that come with, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and focusing on entrepreneurship full time. What was it that inspired you and gave you that kick? I didn't actually leave my corporate job to start Roger. I think that's like an important distinction to make. There were many different opportunities that came up for me um, in the sense that I had al- I already knew that my time in the corporate world would be limited. I'd already started a company. I was already doing consulting work. So I had kind of multiple streams of income. I had different different sort of ways I was I was kind of moving my career forward. So for me, it was really about prioritization and like what I need to focus on and once you kind of got on what you need for a particular role or something that you're doing where's the next challenge where can I pick up my the next set of skills so I think that was more what spurred me to focus on my businesses full-time and as well as consultancy work full-time because I realized I'm more passionate about this and I feel like I've taken everything I need I need to learn from this role and if I get more senior I'm not sure what I would be taking from staying in this role. Um, but I would say just generally, I was in a, in a fortunate position in the sense that I I had a business already that was running. I, ha- I was doing consulting work on the side, so I couldn't make that decision for myself. Um, if I didn't, then I think it's really a case of like, when is this really gonna become um, 
you know, where, if this is a really big opportunity and how that opportunity kind of goes from here and what you need to be able to make that jump. I think that's the analysis that you need to sort of make to be able to do that. Before starting, Audrey, you mentioned that you had started WCAN, which is a platform for Black women in terms of excelling them in their professional careers. You've also started a publishing company. Were you running those both while you were in your full-time job, or is that something you started during your consulting? But I know you've been running multiple businesses at the same time. Yeah. So WCAN was first, which I was running whilst I was working, as well as doing some consultancy work. And then when I left um, Rothschild, I then went on to build uh, a publishing company, which was kind of an accident. Like, <laughs> was it really? <laughs> I had no plans to really start a publishing company. But my best friend, uh, she's also got an investment banking background. And um, she came to me, she said, I've written a book. And it's, uh, I want to put it out in the world, but I want it to be put out correctly. And it's, it centers black women, it centers my culture. Um, and I feel like if I give it to an agent and I go to a publishing company, the life is going to be sucked out of it. So we just accidentally started this publishing company so we could tell the story she wanted to tell in the way that she wanted to told. Um, and, um, and that's how we now have a publishing company where we have you know, seven other books on our roster, seven other authors that are bringing out debut books this year. And um, we're, we're just super excited because it, it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, but I love the attitude of just creating your own opportunities and taking control of how you send your message out in the world, because most people do want to go to a traditional publisher, not knowing that they could self-publish or start something off themselves. So I really love the fact that you both just kind of took control of how you wanted to tell the story. And now you've got seven other authors, right? So how have you managed to balance WCAN, your publishing company, and also running Oja? Because I'm sure it must be very hectic. Yeah. You know, I think prioritization is key. So when I set up WCAN, that was seven years ago now, and it means that I was able to build a team. I was able to put up processes. I've done all of this, you know, alongside working. So when we started the publishing company, it meant that I could hand off WCAN to my team to continue building and pushing it forward, like the next generation of young women who want to really, um, really stand in, the, in that gap between Black women and, and our progress in the corporate world. And then I was able to focus solely on building on my art publishing company. And I said it to my friend, I was just like, look, I'll give you a year, like I'll give you a solid year of my time to build this business up. And then you're going to have to take it forward as I now focus on the business I want to build, which is, which is Oja. Um, so I was working on Oja a little bit, a little bit, but really my focus and the, my prioritization was setting up this business and building it so that we could get to a particular stage where I could then step back because I had a co-founder and focus almost solely on Oja, which is what I do right now. And in terms of the co-founder that you have for your publishing company, what are the lessons that you've learned in working with someone? Because you've started several companies by yourself and this particular one you've co-founded. What are the lessons that you've learned in terms of co-founding a business? I say just always have a co-founder. That would be my advice. Um, I think having a co-founder is a really unique it's a really, it's having a really unique person who will be almost the only person who understands the stage or the phase that you're in. Um, and when you're a solo founder, you're always operating at a level where um, 
there's no one else who gets what you're going through, if that makes sense. No one understands the breadth of the decisions that you need to make or how you need to prioritize because everyone thinks what they're doing is the most important thing, not realizing there are a million different things that are all of equal importance. So I think it's just somebody who can go along with the journey with you, the highs, the lows. It's it's awesome having a co-founder. So I would recommend if you want to start a business, you know, get somebody to go along the journey with you. Um, it's a bit too late for me, I think, for WCAD and um, who knows, it might not be too late for Oda, but um, I think having a co-founder is just excellent just to have somebody who's who's going along the journey with you side by side at the same level. And I know most investors actually and accelerators always advise getting a co-founder just because it's so important to help manage that stress and the responsibilities in the early days when you don't even have a team and it's you doing 1000 things. So I definitely agree with that. And for all these ventures, you've been able to raise finance in different ways from grants to paid partnerships, and then most recently, angel investment and also venture capital. Could you tell me about the journey of raising money? Because again, you've raised through different types, which I think is really unique. I mean, I normally hear people just do one (laughs) and they stick to whether it's constantly pitching via pitch decks to venture capitalists, but you've done it really well for all three of your businesses or was your publishing company bootstrapped? Uh, It was friends and family. And then we, um, yeah, we got a little bit of outside investment and then it's like a lifestyle business, right? So we don't really need VC or like huge amounts of money just to kind of kick off because publishing is very high capital business. So tell me about the journey of accessing finance for your businesses. And you can start with the grants or maybe the paid partnerships, whichever one you feel like. Sure. So I would say in terms of like corporate relationships and paid partnerships, WCAM, I think we rely on corporate relationships to, I guess, push the business forward um, in the sense that we work very closely with particular firms and for a, a particular cost for sponsorships. And this is the way we fund what we do so that we don't have to charge um, charge our, our members or students to get involved with what we're doing. So it's almost like uh, it's not necessarily a social enterprise, but it's almost like one in the sense that these firms are willing to um, kind of pay to interact with these women um, and then we use that to just feed back into the business and keep the business running um, and that that was that was something that I did on like when I first came up with WCAN like I <laughs> I went to corporate firms and I said look do you want to be involved like it's going to be 100 pounds like it would it would, didn't even make sense I just gave a number um and then they they said yes. So then from there, I obviously went back and actually looked at the business model, looked at how we could grow, looked at what made sense, looked at where the value was, um, and then was able to really put together a really good corporate partnerships pa- package for these firms. But actually, uh, initially, it was just a case of just trying something and seeing if is this worth paying for, almost, you know, to keep it running versus anything else. And what is it that? gave the confidence to the corporate organizations to partner with you how did you manage to convince them to come on board you know like i'm a strong believer that when people are putting some money into something yes it's like the idea but actually they're investing into you so if you can sit in a room and you can ask for a number and you can say this is what it's for and i'm going to do this and they really believe you then that's what they're putting the money in for of course there's value that comes out of it but i think 
it didn't matter who was sitting in the room having that conversation. And for me, I pretty much always pitch every single one of my businesses. And it's not just a pitch, it's the truth. It's a personal need that I have for something that I will use to create a business. So I was going into investment banking. There was nobody who looked like me in front office banking. And I had to go and say, well, I'm going to make a network to find people who look like me. <laughs> that was really what I started WK. Um, and when you tell that story to corporate firms where you're like, I'm in a corporate firm or I'm interning and this is a need, I need. And if I need it, then other people need it. Um, that is enough of the convincing. And it's the same for uh, Omway, where it's like, we don't see diverse books. We don't see unique stories in in the way told in the way they should be. So therefore, this is why you should buy into this. Similarly for um, Oja, like I don't have access to these products. So this is why this is a huge underserved opportunity. And I think that personal element really plays a big role in sitting in a room and sort of pitching for somebody to believe and think that you have value in what, in what you're putting forward. Yeah. And you currently have some really significant names from a similar industry as Oja sitting on your board. How were you able to build that network? And for those who are looking to build their own board or get advisors for their company, what advice would you give them? Yeah, so, I mean, my advisors, so they're not my board, I would say, just to clarify, they're my advisors. Um, and the the advisors I reached out to, they were, I just wrote a list. Like, I sat down and I said, who can help me do this? Because I don't know how to deliver groceries. I don't really know this. I don't know any of this stuff. So I need someone to tell me. I know I can build this business, but what's the playbook here? So I just wrote down a number of companies that I thought were awesome and that were kind of in this market or tackling something like this um, and looked at the CEOs um, on the CTOs and really where the gaps in my knowledge lie. Um, and then I just wrote a list down and I reached out to them and I called Corbett on LinkedIn. And that was literally how simple it was. I was very clear. I spoke to some of them for like, I, like I, I pitched them almost. And then they were like, yeah, we're in. Um, and I think that that makes a big difference, building up advisors with people who can actually help, but then also knowing what kind of help you need, what that help looks like, and what gap that's filling for you. Because it's all nice just having a board of advisors, but actually where is where are they filling the gap and I think you notice less, um, later down the line that everyone's going to want to be one of your advisors eventually so you really have to know how to choose really where the value lies and know how to say actually no you might just want to be getting involved for x y and z but actually this is where I need support or this is where I need help so yeah it's balancing the two and I love what you said um and again it's that attitude of I want to create something so I'm going to create the opportunity. But I love what you said about, I don't know how to deliver groceries. Let me ask someone who does. Because I think most times what holds people back from making their idea a reality or building the business is is that I don't know how to do it. And so they just decide not to. But, you know, you've just proven that that's not the most important thing. Ask people that know how to do it because they will simply tell you. So I think that's like a really, really good point. Um, So... Apps are very expensive to build um, and they take a lot of time. I think when I met you years back, you had told me that you had started building your app with some developers, I think in India, and it was costing you thousands of pounds. But what was the first thing you did to test if the idea would work? Did you take some steps before building the app or did you just launch into building the app? Yeah, like I spoke to people, like that was the, that was how far I took it and if I could go back, that's not what I would do. Um, I think that 
you should test your idea in the cheapest way possible first and use this traction to go and say like this is how i'm going to build a model um so what i went, jumped in and did and then is i built uh, an ios and android app and admin panel a panel for the stores to use when we were testing a marketplace model this is just way too much tech and now it's benefited me in the sense that we have these apps it's not going to take us time now that we're going to we're about to hard launch hopefully in september um or in the autumn and now we have these apps built which would usually take a long time to build so i've kind of done that but actually you can test an idea via web a web app Something that's simple, easy to build, something that's um, easy for everyone to access if that's what you want to do. Sometimes it's as simple as you, you could, I could have, for example, taken orders via um, WhatsApp. It, it didn't actually have to build any technology in order for me to test if there's some sort of need or demand here. Um, but I decided to run a full pilot operating two apps. That's a complex way to do things and it's a costly way to do things. So I would recommend reading the, the Lean Startup and just thinking about lean ways that you can start to test your ideas and build something um, super cool without having to spend loads of cash, um, which now it's worked out for me and everything's sort of worked out. But in hindsight, I would have said that there are, there are smarter ways. That that's, what, that's the whole point, right? That you look back on your journey and say, this made more sense or this didn't and if I was going to give advice then this is how I'd go down this route yeah and I mean it's definitely also the way to get started when you don't have access to the cash exactly um you know doing the most basic thing like you said taking the orders through whatsapp or um maybe through email or just doing it on a web platform um so a couple of years ago you had some controversy around Oja, the name and the branding um, I think there was a similar brand in the US who had the same name and similar branding as well. And the story kind of escalated and there's a bit of drama online about it. How did you move forward with that situation as a founder? Because I know that could be quite um, crushing to see that there is a similar brand exactly like yours. How did you manage that situation? And um, especially for those listening, how did you move forward to protect your company? Yeah. For me, you know, I'm I'm a very cut and dry kind of person. Like I'm straight to the point. And for me, it was like, is there is there a legal case here or not? So very quickly, I had to I had to make sure that this was this was the case. Um, you know, is there something uh, questionable about how this has come about, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Of course, very quickly determined it wasn't. There was nothing wrong. It was fine. It was more kind of I think kind of a social judge and jury more than anything else. And that for me was difficult in the sense that it almost made me feel like I didn't have anybody supporting me, if that makes sense. Um, even though there were a lot of people who were kind of in my corner and saying, of course you didn't copy it, of course you didn't do X, Y, Z, which of course I didn't. Um, but it felt a bit like if I was now to bring this product to market and it's a product specifically for these people who, um, are underserved and these are the same people kind of online saying I've done X, I've done Y, I've said that was kind of disheartening for me. And to be honest, I've never really said that out loud. It was quite disheartening to feel like uh, people may not support what I do because they feel as though I have copied or something like this. Of course, never conduct myself conducting myself in business in this way. I'm, I'm known for the way I conduct business, and this is not this. Um, but for me, it was really a case of having to sort of step back a little bit, which is why actually I took a bit of time away from Oja. And that was almost one of the reasons that spurred me to help me really jump in with my best friend and, and work on her sort of publishing and her book and everything. I kind of needed to take a step back because I had to just rethink how 
I wanted to approach this. Um, but then, of course, I think support from like friends, family, and so on and so forth. And then also just like this, for me, it was almost like I couldn't run away from the problem because I realized like I'm trying to solve a problem here. I'm not building a business. It's not. It's not a brand. It's not any of these things. It doesn't 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 mean anything to me. It can be in any shape or form as long as we're solving the problem of the fact that these groceries cannot be accessed easily. You know, it's almost like I couldn't run away from the problem. So it was, I had to push forward. I had to keep building, um, because I, it just I just kept getting signs that this problem needs to be solved. Someone needs to solve it. You're the person to solve it. So. I think it's a you know I protected myself like legally. Um, we were trademarked anyway in the EU, so there wasn't really much of a problem. But at the same time, just making sure legally this wouldn't be a problem moving forward. There were no grounds for claims, etc. So just like cut and dry, sort that out. Um, and then a little later down the line, it was a case of just kind of building up that motivation and any sort of fear that oh people won't support or something like this. Kind of putting that to the side and just pushing forward regardless because there was a real problem to be solved here um, and no one was solving it and i mean to be honest the world is so big there are loads of people out there that would be willing to support you and if their problem is being met with a solution i i don't think some controversy online is going to stop them from tapping into that no of course you're totally right and i think it's sometimes when you're in this situation it's almost like you think it's so it's really intense but actually like now no, no one even no one has even asked me about it I've just been spent the last three months raising significant amount of money like maybe I've been asked about it once or twice and one of the times when it was mentioned it was actually like the VC saying you know we really want to support you like we how was that for you like how was your mental health like this is the way they were talking about it as opposed to like it was some scandalous thing because it was just it's just it was meaningless at the time, but it feels deeper than it is always when you're when you're in the moment, I think. Yeah, of course. And just as one of the investors said, I was really curious to understand how your mental health was because running a business, starting something can be so lonely. And then when the internet just turns on you, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is not what I'm here to focus <laughs> oh, on. Gosh. And um yeah, so I can just imagine it must have been hard to push through. But I'm happy that you did because you you are building something really great that is solving a big problem. So um, I'm glad to hear that. Um, in terms of like how you work, I saw the other day that you mentioned Deep Work by Cal Newport. And that's actually something that I mentioned in my book around productivity. What are the other techniques that you use in terms of getting things done at work and with your business? I think I try to like prioritize the things I need to get done. So I don't really see the need to have a huge long to-do list, but instead I kind of block my day out. I work in blocks. So I'll sit down, I have hour blocks and I just put like the to-dos and block them out. Um, and I have hard stops. So this usually helps. And actually I do this for my whole day. So that includes things like going to the gym, going for a swim, eating dinner. Like I just, I will just block it out. You don't always follow it. like amazingly that this gives me a lot of focus it hones in my focus and I literally spent the last two months fundraising where you're just almost because everything's on zoom now you're sitting in one place you have a million meetings and you have the things that you need to kind of turn over from the meetings and this was this was a godsend for me like this was just the best way to work it's like doing the same thing every day where I blocked out times for, for myself, like even for swimming, for going to the gym, but then also I could block out everything else. So for me, working in blocks really um, makes a huge difference to uh, my productivity. But then also like 
that flexibility as well really helps with your productivity like knowing that oh actually in this hour I was meant to go for a swim but maybe I don't feel like swimming so I'm going to do something else but I know that this is sort of blocked out time for me to do something else so yeah I, I think working in blocks really helps my productivity um, and being as flexible as as you can allow yourself to be. I love that approach. I think scheduling just kind of gives your mind something to focus on and really to not just be spontaneous and go with the flow. I have spoke to founders with that. No, I don't have a to-do list. I just kind of do it as it all comes. Um, and that can be quite manic. So you've mentioned a few times that you've been raising for the last two months. And um, I'm wondering how many times have you pitched over the last two months? <laughs> oh, God, I actually don't know. It must be a hundred times, like at least a hundred times. If you think about, because sometimes you just, you're pitching, you even know you're pitching. So there were times when I actually, because when you're fundraising, you don't just talk to people who are going to invest in you. You just talk to loads of people. So I found myself sometimes speaking to people just for advice on what I'm building and what their thoughts are on what I'm building. And then sometimes you walk up with a check, like they're just like, can I commit? And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but I think that at least a hundred times, it must be for sure. So you're now taking on, um, you know, external funding. How do you feel about having to manage this amount of money, grow a team? Because I'm sure you'll now be hiring soon. And I know it's things that you've done previously, but I guess you've done it at a different scale. So you've had the pay partnerships with the corporates, the grants, you know, you've had money from friends and family, but this is now from VCs. How does that feel mentally? And in terms of practically pressing forward with building the team, what steps are you taking? Yeah, you know, I'm a big believer in just asking people for help if they've done it before. So when we, when some angel investors, and for me, like, I can't wait to announce some of the amazing angels we have backing us, all from, like, the grocery and, like, e-grocery and e-commerce and food tech businesses. And they always ask me, like, what do you what do you need help with? I'm like, okay, cool. You know, obviously operations, like, I don't know how to run this. So tell, how would I? Both internal and external, right? Like, as a CEO, how do you manage all the moving parts of a business, of, of a venture-backed business? Like, what do you focus on? How do you prioritize? Like, I think this is one of the, probably the hardest things, like learning how to be an, a CEO alongside being the founder of a company. Um, and I think that that is, that is probably the best way to target that is to learn from people who've done it before, right? Um, so I'm a big believer in that. And before I used to, I don't, I don't like to ask for help. Like I just like to get on with things. <laughs> um, but now, <laughs> any answer I don't have, I'll just email like the CEO of the company. I'm like, what can I do with this? Or how do I, how do I handle this? The other day we were talking about some fresh produce. And I was, I was just thinking, how would you even handle like fresh meat? Like how do you do this? And I just sent an email to one of the, our angel investors, like, how do you guys handle this? And he just told me. It's, it's like that simple. Um, so I think it's just a case of like anything I don't know, I think I can hopefully get from just asking questions from great people that I have around me and who are really, really supportive. Kind of goes back again to the network that you now have. And I just love your honesty about if you don't know, just ask for help. Um, because again, it goes back to that if you have a brilliant idea and you don't have the answer for something, but you know this can work, go and ask people that know. Um, I just think that's really, really important. So in terms of resources that you've used to help you along your journey, what have been the best ones for you? Like books, podcasts, um, and any other resources that you may have come along? I, I think some podcasts like I listen to because I think that podcasts are a really good way to like 
almost pick the brains of people that you haven't probably never never met and maybe won't in the near future um so I always try if there are any cool people like the other day I listened to a really cool podcast um where Will Shu the founder of Deliveroo was just talking about his journey from like when he first built Deliveroo all the way to now um and this to me is uh this is this is always useful. I think it's always good to try and speak to or hear from the people who are building things that inspire you and that uh, you kind of want to build as well, or you like their journey. So that's one thing. Um, practically, I think things like uh, what I see are really good for just practical things that you want to know, like how do you test an idea, or how do you prioritize, or how what's a cap table, like these sort of things that you may not necessarily understand table mechanics and stuff like this could be very useful um yeah i think those are the and youtube as well is also very useful but i'll be really honest with you my the most learnings i've gotten have been from speaking to people like i just think that those that's completely invaluable i don't think anything on google can tell you as much as that can um, even during like the hiring process so you want to hire somebody who does X, Y, and Z, but you don't know anything about it. So I literally would just ask them to tell me about what they currently do, how they do it, what programs they use, what how their team is structured, because you're learning from interviewing them almost how to build your company as well. Um, so yeah, I think speaking to people more than anything else personally. I love that because that seems to be a lot of what you've done throughout your, especially with Oja, really just kind of speaking to people, whether it's for help or to get learnings. Um, So wrapping up, I have one more question and it's around women raising capital. So in the UK, I think there's nine black women that have raised venture capital um, and hopefully you'll be part of the group (laughs) soon. Um, But What's your thoughts on the future of black women in business and in terms of venture capital? What are your thoughts in terms of where you see the future going, um, especially now that we've, you know, we've gone through some challenging times as um, people living in the UK? Um, and I think a lot of that is going to feed into the change that happens. So what are your thoughts on that? And what is your advice also for women who may be listening that are wanting to raise capital for their business that's a big question to take your time i think black women have always had a stronghold in business like i don't i think they make businesses work and they can they are very good at doing this with with or without venture um so i think venture isn't the be all and end all i think not everybody needs to raise venture um sometimes your company is not even post for venture you can have an incredibly successful company without raising venture and sometimes actually raising venture adds a lot, actually always adds a lot of complexities to the business, uh, which I'm, I, which sometimes is not necessarily, um, it's not necessary all the time. So that's one thing. But then also, I think that we will see more men raising venture capital by virtue of the amazing businesses that a lot of women are building right now. Um, that are venture backable, that are huge, like $100 million ideas that can scale um, eventually. And what you really need to build these sort of businesses is just somebody who believes in you. Um, so it, it almost ties into the second part of your question in that I would just find allies who can help you. Um, and I was lucky because I had some really amazing allies get in touch with me and say, I love what you're building and I think you're amazing. Like, can I help you? This is what people would ask. And my answer was like, okay, sure. Uh, but this is very helpful. And I'm always very clear about this. 
sense because people think that these things just happen, but they don't. You know, sometimes people have to, they, they like are an ally and they want to support and they want to help. And then that sometimes they make that journey a little smoother for you. So I wouldn't always look at people's journeys and just think, oh, yeah, maybe she's the only one or X, Y, and Z. No, I think some it's a combination of different things. It's sometimes luck. It's sometimes timing. There's a lot of other things that feed into it. It's just not the be and end all raise venture. Um, but if you do want to raise venture, I would say find, find this ally, find somebody who can support you. Um, along the journey tell you everything you need to know help you frame your narrative and these are the roles maybe even your advisors can play um, as well and then also when you're fundraising you need to just talk about the fact you're fundraising all the time like this is <laughs> this is very key yeah i've heard it's a full-time job yeah you need to just always be ready to whip out some form of pitch because there are times when i was just at dinner or meeting someone new and i'm just like yeah i'm currently fundraising and then all of a sudden you know they're talking about what kind of checks and how they can get involved. So I would always just slip in on fundraising at all times, which I think is really important because you just never know who can help you. Um, but yeah, get that kind of ally, somebody who understands the, the landscape, who would be willing to help. And a lot of people are willing to help. It's just, it's it's a good and bad thing that BC is kind of built on warm intros and people kind of introducing you based on who you know. Um, but also there are so many programs and accelerators and things like this that can help you can help you frame this as well and um, to get to that point. So um, take advantage of all the help you can get. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me from this interview is the getting help when you don't know, because um, it seems like being able to do that in terms of getting help and Ali's has really been able to help you accelerate your business. Yeah, and put yourself out there as well. I think it's really, that's just one of the most important things. Come out of yourself, like do things you wouldn't normally do. Go to places you wouldn't normally go because you just never know what's going to come out of it. And sometimes we stay in our own sort of bubble and actually you're not getting anything from that. So that would be one other piece of advice. Yeah, I love that. Just kind of step out of your comfort zone. And to be honest, when you're starting a business, that is what you have to do. Thank you so much, Miriam, for coming onto the podcast show. I totally appreciate your time and I'm so excited um, to hear more about where Oja is going. Looking forward to the announcement and we'll definitely be spreading the word for you. So thank you again and appreciate your time. Great. Thank you. That's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do follow, leave a review and a rating as it really helps others in discovering the podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can sign up for that at fourworkingladies.com. Thank you for listening.